Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes, because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Lux mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey everyone, I'm Ian DeBorha, and I'd like to welcome you to a special edition of Movies That Changed My Life. On this week's episode, I'm joined by IMDb's founder and CEO, Carl Needham, as we sit down to choose and discuss our top movies and TV shows of 2020. Carl grew up as a young cinephile in England and had started making his personal database of movie information for films he watched as a teenager. Carl then decided to publish the first version of IMDb online in October 1990. 30 years later, IMDb is the world's most popular and authoritative source for information on movies, TV shows, and celebrities. If you would like to check out the rest of IMDb's best of 2020 lists, you can head over to imdb.com slash best dash of to see a variety of year-end top 10 lists, more of which will be unveiled in the coming weeks, as well as retrospective galleries, trailers, original videos, and other year-end coverage. Finally, Season 2 of Movies That Changed My Life will be returning in early 2021, so be sure to keep an eye out for more soon. Thanks so much for listening. Now here's a special edition of Movies That Changed My Life with Call Needham. Call, welcome to Movies That Changed My Life, our special edition. This is now our third annual discussion to talk about our favorite movies of the last year. Uh, obviously, this year has been a little different in terms of movie viewing for both of us. Um, but why don't we chat really quickly? Like, what was your movie watching experience like this year? Uh, I know you tend to watch, you know, hundreds of films a year. So, so give, us, give us your call rundown of stats of movies you've seen. Okay, well, I I think I'm going to come out at over 800 <laughs> movies seen in 2020. So that that beats my total from last year, which was just under 750. Um, so I I think I've done okay. Um, the <laughs> other thing for me this year that's been very different is I've had much more time to see TV, and so I've kind of had a renewed love of tv i i'm excited i i saw 219 movies this year which is a fraction of yours but more than my average um and i squeezed in you know i, I do watch a bit more tv than you typically but i'm still impressed at my, at my stat i've been trying to make it a habit to make sure i i track every single movie i watch uh as per inspired from previous conversations but maybe one day i'll get to that 800 mark 800 mark in the future <laughs> so let's kick it off 
We're going to quickly go through our top 10 through 6 movies of 2020, the honorable mentions that didn't quite make our top 5, which we'll get into later in the show. Um, after the honorable mentions, we will jump into our top 3 shows of 2020, then wrap up with our deep dive in our 5 favorite films of 2020. Um, but Carl, let's, let's set up the ground rules uh, on your side, at least, for what qualifies as a movie of 2020, and then I'll, I'll address a mine are going to be slightly different. Um, but Carl, what, what, what are the rules on your end? Yeah, so I have an interesting rule that essentially a title has to be released in the current year for it to be eligible for my top 10. So this does present a little bit of a problem if there's a movie that's opening very late in the year and I've already compiled my list. It's too late for the current year's list, and by my own rules, I can't include it in the following year's list. Um, And that's happened. There are three movies that I have to see yet in 2020. And just by the the filmmakers, the cast, uh, the buzz about these movies, they're kind of like they've got great movie that Cole will love written all over them, but it would be grossly unfair for me to include them in the top 10 when I've not yet seen them. So um, so there might be a little bit of juggling in this top 10 list um, before we get to the very end of the year. So, so that, that is the caveat. If, if folks are listening to this and you go to IMDb's best of 2020 section, you see Call's list is slightly different. Um, that is because we're actually recording this a couple of weeks ahead of the official best of list releases. Uh, so my rules are slightly different. Um, I have, take the more populist approach as to a lot of these films that I've selected um, made you know limited, whether film festival debuts or limited screening debuts in 2019, um, but got a wider release in 2020. So some of my picks may have that 2019 tag on them. Uh, but that is because I typically follow the wide release because I um, unfortunately cannot attend all the film festivals I would love to uh, as much as I would love to chase call around the globe and watch movies with them all year. Uh, I'm unable to do that. So th- those are th- that how, is how our rules will slightly differ, uh, but you'll see uh, our picks will align. So let's get into our honorable mention. So I'll start and then you can go call. So my 10 through 6 starting with 10 is Hamilton. Um, which is the filmed production of the hit musical Hamilton. If you haven't heard of that musical, uh, I'm sure <laughs> I can't imagine you haven't, but if you haven't, I recommend watching it. It's available on Disney Plus. Fantastic retelling of the Founding Fathers uh, here in the United States. My number nine is Boys State, which is an Apple TV Plus documentary, which follows a a group of teenage boys as they attend what is called Boys State, which is like a political science politics summer camp. Uh, It is very interesting. It gives you insight into how the future leaders, uh, for better or worse, um, are kind of created and get their start here in America. Really fascinating documentary. Um, Recommend that as well. Uh, number eight is Possessor, is which is Brandon Cronenberg's uh, techno horror body thriller film. Uh, the name Cronenberg may sound familiar to those who are fans of David Cronenberg. He is one of the pioneers of the body horror genre. 
Um, Possessor is a phenomenal movie. My main regret is I wish I got to see that in a theater because I didn't get to. Um, it would have been so fun to see in a theater. My my thing on Possessor. <laughs> yeah. I loved Possessor. Yes. And all the time I just kept thinking, wow, that Cronenberg apple did not fall <laughs> far from the tree. Yeah. My number seven pick is uh, Charlie Kaufman's I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Uh, very cerebral movie, but fantastic the whole time. Um, it took me two watches to really like pick up on all the little nuances that throughout the film. But uh, I think Kaufman has such a way of presenting film and his ideas on screen. Um, really, really brilliant. That's available on Netflix. So I was also a big fan of I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Um, Jesse Buckley is an amazing mm-hmm. actress. Um, and as we'll hear, she's in one of my honorable mentions in my top 10. And then my number six is uh, Aaron Sorkin's Trial of the Chicago 7, which we will talk a little bit more about uh, in Call's half. So we can end the, my half there. So Call, do you want to talk about your... Uh, likely to be on your top 10 and then your honorable mentions. Is, is that how you want to handle that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do. Yep. So to start off, I'll go with my unseen titles, which are in the running. Um, so I have Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm really looking forward to seeing. Um, and it will, be, it will be Chadwick Boseman's last film. So I think they'll, they'll be... I'll be bringing emotions with me um, to the film. My my other in the running is The Midnight Sky, uh, which stars my favourite actress Felicity Jones. I'm looking forward to see how that works. That works out. Interesting science fiction tale, end of the world kind of story, starring and directed by George Clooney as well. So very very keen to see that one. And then finally, they 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 they're making this movie just for me. David Fincher, who's one of my favorite living directors, is directing a movie about the writing of Citizen Kane, <laughs> um, all about Herman Mankiewicz and Orson Welles. And Orson Welles is one of my favourite directors, and I'm a big fan of the writing anyway. Uh, so whoever wrote Citizen Kane, it actually doesn't matter to me. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see David Fincher tell me all about the intrigue and the conflict behind that and credit where credit's due or not. Um, we will see when the <laughs> film comes out. All right, so those are your unseen, uh, but likely to make your top 10 list. Let's start with your honorable mentions at number 10. Okay, so starting at number 10 is David Frayne's film, Dating Amber. Uh, uh, Eddie shifted a girl today. Where it is, he didn't touch your tits, though. Jack! A guy to lovemaking. Which has a brilliant premise. Um, inspired somewhat, David said, by, by his own experiences in high school. Uh, a, a, a gay man and a lesbian woman pretend to be in a relationship so that they can better fit in at high school. Uh, it's really, really clever story set in the 1990s. 
um, the the kind of the kind of uplifting comedy that you need in these times. At number nine, we've got Josephine Decker's Shirley, which may or may not be a true story about the author Shirley Jackson, who's with very much in the public consciousness at the moment. Uh, absolutely fabulous story, um, and uh, I I don't want to say too much about it because you just have to you just have to see it. I haven't seen Shirley yet, um, but it is on. It's been on my list. I I was slightly embarrassed I haven't seen it because it has been out for a while. I will add this to my watch list as well. <laughs> <laughs> hey at least i'm now feeling i'm feeling better about the movies now you know how i feel <laughs> about tv <laughs> number eight uh philippa lothorpe's misbehavior this is a brilliant story and this is definitely inspired by by facts it's the story of the disruption of the 1970 miss world competition um, in London, uh, absolutely a brilliant ensemble cast: Kira Knightley, Gugu and Raw, and the aforementioned Jesse Buckley. Just brilliantly acted. At seven is Regina King's One Night in Miami, uh, which is an absolutely fascinating film. Uh, this is this is a, a film that kind of could have happened but didn't quite happen. Uh, it's a night in which Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X, Sam Cooke, and Jim Brown are together in 1964, and we get we get a real flavour of the the times that they were in, and and sadly maybe that that things haven't come as far as we would have liked since 1964. Thoroughly recommended film. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. That is definitely on my list of movies that I'm assuming will end up on my top 10. Um, I haven't had a chance to see it yet. I believe that releases in the United States uh, on Christmas and it's getting from the, the digital screenings and, and the festival buzz it's getting. I'm, I'm hearing a lot of Oscar uh, noms headed that way as well. So I'm looking forward to that. And then at number six... We have Thomas Vinterberg's Another Round, which maybe wins the competition for most crazy premise of the year, <laughs> in which a group of friends learn of a theory that the human body is actually needs a little bit more alcohol than than naturally <laughs> naturally occurs in the human body and that maybe you should start with a with a drink each day or each evening or wherever and you can be at your best and it's kind of like you're you're like thinking really really how is this going to work and it's both incredibly serious and incredibly funny at the same time, and it's really a film about friendship. And it would have been, it would have played Cannes had mm. there been a, a Cannes Film Festival. So I'm, I'm a little bit sentimental for the, the missed opportunity of, of perhaps being at the premiere of that uh, in the Lumiere Theatre in Cannes. <laughs> so those were our honourable mention movies of 2020. Um, before we get to our top five, let's quickly pivot to discuss our top shows of the year. Um, you know, like you said earlier, you had a chance to refine your love of television. So I'd like to chat about the three shows that made our respective lists. Would you like to go first? I think I, I, I have to mention normal people. 
um, which was just an amazing show. It played on BBC here in kind of like the early months of lockdown. So we as a family ended up watching it together and it was just such a compelling show and the, the, the cast was brilliant and it was great that we were able to give Daisy Edgar-Jones an IMDb Star Meter Award. Um, that, that made my <laughs> year um, seeing her recognised like that. So that's, that's my number one pick. On, on my end, the first show I want to discuss is uh, two recent ones, but the first one is going to be The Queen's Gambit, um, which is on Netflix, starring Anya Taylor-Joy. It's the, uh, the miniseries about her uh, journey into competitive chess, and uh, it's really good. I actually think it's one of the best sports shows I've ever seen. Um, it really captures a competitive element of chess that I hadn't really thought about. It's beautifully shot. It's well-acted. Just all across the board, fantastic show. And I've been a fan of Anya's for a long time, so I'm really glad that she's getting this huge show to massive critical acclaim. Call, have you seen it yet? Uh, no, I, I have, I haven't. Um, it's way up high on my watch list, uh, even more so now that you've just said that. It sounds like we need to, we need to book her for that scene with Dan <laughs> yeah. Patrick, given that it's a sports yeah. <laughs> movie or sports show. <laughs> Uh, if you haven't listened to that scene with Dan Patrick, that is IMDb's new podcast. Uh, it's available exclusively on Amazon Music, so you can go check that out. Dan talks to stars uh, about the scenes that are most iconic in their uh, filmography, so go ahead and check that out. What's another show on your list you'd like to discuss? Little Fires Everywhere mm -hmm. um, was such a brilliant adaptation. Um, now, everyone else in my family are big readers, um, so they had all read the novel. So there was immediate interest in this. Um, and slightly sad story, um, I was good friends with Lynn Shelton, mm -hmm. who sadly passed away earlier this year. And she directed four of the six episodes um, of the series, um, and so it, it was it, for me. It was very moving to watch what would be Lynn's last work on screen. Um, so it, it meant a lot sentimentally to me as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Lynn Shelton was a very iconic director, especially in the indie film genre, notably. Um, one of the pioneers of the mumblecore genre as well. So yeah, Lynn Shelton is a is a missed uh, aspect of the film the film industry. My, my second show I'd like to chat about is Apple TV Plus's Ted Lasso, starring Jason Sudeikis. It's such a wholesome wholesome TV show featuring Jason Sudeikis, who is a American football college coach who then gets hired to uh, manage a flailing English Premier League team, AFC Richmond. And um, I've been a little burned out by the amount of true crime that has been on TV in the last couple of years. And so I'm really glad that I had something to look forward to every week in which my like, you know, heart rate wasn't racing every minute I was on screen and I wasn't trying to search the internet to find out, you know, little hints as to who killed who and things like that. Um, but yeah, I, I absolutely love that show. It, it was great. And and it may it may become more true to life now that Ryan Ryan Reynolds has has bought a UK soccer club. Oh, I didn't see that. <laughs> <laughs> that. That could be very true to true to life. I don't though. I don't know if he was watching the show and decided, <laughs> wait, hey, if, if Jason could do this, I want in on some of this action. <laughs> and what's your third final show? 
Uh, my third show is Watchmen, mm-hmm. um, which which technically is a 2019 show. Mm-hmm. Um, I I normally strictly adhere adhere to having it has to have 2020 mm-hmm. in the year on IMDb to to qualify. But it was very late 2019 uh, when when it was broadcast, and I was stunned at just how brilliant this show was mm-hmm. um just the, the 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 framing of it um was 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 just brilliant absolutely absolutely brilliant and it kind of it has a special it has a special connection for me as well um in the uh my family and I we were supposed to be walking a marathon Okay, mm-hmm. um, so you can. This is apparently a thing that you can do. You don't have to. You don't have to run. Uh, I'm no nowhere near fit enough to run a marathon, but we do like to. We do like to walk, and so part of the training was going on longer, longer and longer walks. And, and in terms of watching Watchmen, I finished up in this situation where, on a treadmill. I watched the first, I think, maybe five episodes mm. of Watchmen while I walked for thirty kilometers, uh, <laughs> which is the the furthest that I'd that I'd ever walked as part of the training. Um, and then, sadly, because of the situation here, the the walking marathon was cancelled. So, um, so I I console myself that the benefit of doing that training walk was that I got to see so much of Watchmen. And then, and then the funny thing is, the remainder of the show, I watched it immediately. So I basically I I binged it strictly in the minimum amount of time you can binge the show because I started it on the <laughs> treadmill, I finished the thirty k. I was so hooked on it. I kind of like <laughs> staggered. <laughs> I staggered to the main TV and kind of pressed resume uh, on the fire TV and watched the watched the rest of the show in one sitting. Um, so it's yeah, it's a great way to see it. Really phenomenal show, and I think it deserved all the awards uh, it earned this year at at the Emmys. Fan- fantastic performances and the way it's shot is so original. It is brilliant. Agreed. And then my last pick is also an HBO show, Euphoria, uh, featuring also Emmy winners and Dea. Um, a lot of shows, before they come out, you hear things where they're saying, you know, they're really going to change the way TV shows are shot, look and feel. Very few actually do that. And Euphoria 100% did. Um, it is, it, it was beautiful to look at, hard to watch sometimes. Um, but it, the acting was incredible, featuring, you know, basically primarily young actors. Um, and it's the, the story I'm sure speaks to people who are older and younger, and I'm very much looking forward to a season two. So did, did you have a chance to see Euphoria? I didn't yet. No, mm-hmm. I've, I've got, <laughs> I've got such a long watch list. It's getting, <laughs> it's getting longer. <laughs> <laughs> well, when, when, if you have time, I, I do recommend that. All right. We've done our honorable mention movies. We've done our top shows of the year. So now let's get into it. Let's discuss our top five movies of 2020. I'll go first. So my number five is Kelly Reichardt's First Cow. You have a cow. First cow in the territory. It's ain't a place for cows. That's no place for white men either. I sense some opportunity here. 
this movie was one that also had an initial limited release in 2019, but got a wider release in 2020. It was actually one of the first films that um, the studio A24 went to digital versus trying to hold out for a theatrical release. Really well shot. It's a really unique take on the pioneering of America, uh, the sacrifices that people have to make, and it had very like um, strong uh, commentary on sort of capitalism and how that started in the roots of America and how it sort of comes up uh, through today. Uh, the star John Magaro is phenomenal in it. There might not be enough cow in there for some people, but uh, I, I really, really enjoyed it. It's um, well shot. It takes place here in the Pacific Northwest as well. Right when I saw the trailer, I'm call. I'm sure you knew. Uh, right when I saw the trailer, I knew I was going to be a sucker for it right away. It had everything I liked in it. Uh, <laughs> um, did you happen to see it? I did. I did see it. And um, you'll only understand this if you've actually seen it. But I think this movie might have made me the most hungry yes. for delicious pastries <laughs> <laughs> after seeing it than any movie of this year. You can you can forget the Great British Baking Show. Uh, this is the this is the movie that's going to want you uh, make you want to eat those delicious pastries. Yeah. Yeah. Those those fry cakes looked amazing. Um, and, and also I want to shout out the score on that film. It, it's, it's amazing. Sometimes I work to the soundtrack. Uh, it, it, it works really well and um, fantastic, fantastic movie. All right, Cole, what's your number five? Number five is Francis Lee's film Ammonite, which tells the story of two women who happen to fall in love in the 1840s. Is there something you wanted, sir? My wife, she hasn't been at all well of late. She suffers from melancholia. I want her to walk the shoreline with you, learn from you. I'm not looking for an apprentice. It's set around the discovery of fossils, and you you kind of like you might think, oh, okay, so how's that how's that going to play out? But the the real secret of this film is the brilliant writing by Francis Lee and amazing performances by Sasha Ronan and Kate Winslet um, in, the, in the leads. And the extra thing for me with this film is it's one of the few films that I've seen in a cinema since lockdown mm-hmm. began. It was the closing night of the London Film Festival. And because of the situation here, the festival had arranged for local screening, so I was able to go and see this in a cinema in Bristol, and it was the day of IMDb's 30th anniversary. So it was just an amazing film with an amazing viewing experience uh, because it was great to be in a cinema with an audience on our 30th birthday with my family, uh, without even having to go to London. So it was fabulous. <laughs> I mean, this almost doesn't need to be said, but Saoirse Ronan just continues to impress in every single role she's in. She, I, I don't think she's had any bad performances in, in her career yet. She Even in smaller bit roles, um, or not smaller bit roles, even in her younger roles like the Grand Budapest Hotel, or uh, the lovely bones. She's just phenomenal and phenomenal and everything. Um, and I think this, you know, continues her climb towards that inevitable Oscar gold as well, um, which I'm sure is in her future 
uh, I'm sure in the and know, don't forget she years. was also in Atonement as well. Yes, uh, all the right. way back to 2007, which was like that was my favorite film of 2007 as well. Mm. So it's been it's been great to follow her career across the years. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. My number four is Darius Martyr's Sound of Metal. Your hearing is deteriorating rapidly. We'll come back. Till then, Lou, we just keep going, okay? No. Lou, no. let's play tomorrow and see what it's like, okay? I'm gonna be like a click track. You can play to me. Um, this stars Riz Ahmed, who is an IMDb Star Meter Award winner, uh, and Olivia Cook, and it is about uh, Riz Ahmed is a uh, heavy metal punk drummer in a band with his girlfriend, Olivia Cook, and Riz Ahmed begins to go deaf. And I, I am, you know, in addition to being a film lover, I'm a, also a very passionate musician. And the thought of having to lose my hearing is like a huge like nightmare for me. And Riz Ahmed is so unbelievably amazing in this movie. Um, he's one of my favorite performances of the year. When I was watching it, I was watching it for maybe 20 minutes just out of my speakers. And then after about that point, I paused it and then put on headphones because I wanted to hear all the beautiful sound design they did. And it was really a really unique experience. Darius Martyr and and the sound editors, they do a lot of really cool and clever sound design tricks um, to make it feel like you're also going deaf along with Riz. And it's really, really, um, you, you get really involved in the film that way. And it's a lot more than a punk drummer going deaf. It's a big message for the deaf community. Um, in fact, the film has has captions um, hard-coded into the film even. So the whole time there, there's closed captioning throughout, uh, as obviously this is going to be a big uh, film for, again, the deaf community. And really, really beautiful. Um, yeah. Uh, Carl, what are your thoughts? A really, really good film. Really, I'm a big fan of Riz's work as well. 
Um, the funny thing is, Olivia Cook is also an IMDb Star Meter Award winner. Oh, that's right. So it's a, <laughs> it's a kind of like we've got like a double Star Meter thing. It's uh, it's it's amazing how these things turn out. I was so so pleased when I saw that she was in the cast because uh, mm-hmm. she again she's another uh, another person who can just transform into whichever role she's she's been cast. So what was your number four? Uh, my number four is Eugene Asher's Sylvie's Love. Tell me about this new boy at the store. Hey, what's your favorite song in this? You don't know what love is. I am not answering that. <laughs> is he cute? I didn't really notice that much. Uh, which, uh, again, I was very fortunate to be able to see in a cinema. Uh, I saw this at Sundance in January. It's a wonderful love story set in Harlem in the 1950s. Um, Tessa Thompson is brilliant in this film. And it's, it, it was so, it was so, such an emotional screening. Um, and I, I, I just completely fell in love with the characters, with the movie. Um, I'm quite a big fan of those uh, Douglas Sirk 1950s glossy romances. Mm-hmm. Um, things like All That Heaven Allows, uh, Magnificent Obsession. And it's got that feel uh, about the movie. It feels very authentic. And when Eugene um, came on stage to discuss the movie in a Q&A afterwards, he said that he felt that the black community didn't have the opportunity to tell this kind of story in the 1950s. And so he was inspired to write and direct this as a way of showing how such a story would have unfolded on screen had it been made then. And it's, it's, it, it's so authentic. I haven't had a chance to see this yet. This comes out December 25th, 2020 here in the United States. My number three is a little different. It's David Byrne's American Utopia. What if we could eliminate everything from the stage except the stuff we care about the most? Without cables or wires, what would be left? Well, it would be us and you. So David Byrne is the lead singer and the songwriter of the band Talking Heads. And David Byrne, in 2019, he did a Broadway show um, that was basically a concert intermixed with uh, monologues about his, uh, you know, social and political awareness and and messages and things like that. And uh, Spike Lee directed the version that eventually went to film on HBO Max, and it is amazing. You know, in in a year which, again, I think people have been struggling in in various different ways. People have been stuck at home. You know, this is a, a light that came out uh, of this year. It obviously, I'm I'm a Talking Heads fan. Uh, I'm a David Byrne fan, but the way it's shot it is really beautiful. Spike Lee does a lot of really cool things with the lighting of the stage play. About 40 minutes in, uh, David Byrne starts to perform uh, the Talking Head song Once in a Lifetime, and Spike Lee puts this like angelic glow on him for this one song only. And I wrote down, if David Byrne started a cult, I may join him and accept him as my leader. And, uh, you know, it, he he's able to mix his music, again, with his... Very strong political messaging, so well. Uh, it, it, it's it's really really great. I think even fans aren't fans of Talking Heads could enjoy the film as well. It, it's really well done. 
Um, do, do you happen to see it? Are you a fan? I of did. Being- I did. And the interesting thing is, so I, I saw it with one of my daughters um, mm-hmm. at the virtual London Film Festival. And it's definitely one of those films where I was like, oh, I I would have so much loved to have seen this in a in a theater mm-hmm. with a real kind of like sound stage yeah. around us real sound field um but uh but she's not familiar with talking heads at all and she had a great time watching it and um and not to spoil it because we mustn't spoil anything uh, <laughs> i i i had such a smile on my face as the movie ends yes yeah, yeah, they they capture the cuz it's filmed in front of a live audience and Spike Lee captures the energy of not only the performers but also the crowd really well um which it, you know, I, I agree. I was watching it at home so I wanted to dance like on my couch and I wish I could have seen it, you know, in, in a theater with people as well. Um so that was my number 3. What's yours called? My number 3 is Emerald Fennell's Promising Young Woman. Every week I go to a club I act like I'm too drunk to stand. And every week, a nice guy comes over to see if I'm okay. You okay? Uh, this was another Sundance movie, and it's uh, when I attend Sundance, it's, it's kind of interesting because it's right at the start of the year. And every time I go to Sundance, it, even though it's January, there'll be kind of two or three movies that will hit me and I'll walk out of the movie at the end and go, I bet that's going to finish up in my top 10 (laughs) of the year. Um, Little did I know uh, how few movies I would get to experience in a theatre with an audience in 2020. Uh, But I'm so glad that I experienced this one that way. Um, It is a deliciously wicked story of revenge and emerald is is a talent to watch um so she wrote and directed this movie you may know her as camilla parker bowles in netflix's the crown (laughs) <laughs> so she actually she she plays Camilla on screen. Um, she she has she has worked with Phoebe Waller Bridge um, in the past on Killing Eve in a writing capacity. Um, it is such a superb script, and Kerry Mulligan is a mm-hmm. brilliant in the lead role. Um, and this is one of these things. This is one of these films where I saw it in January. And it's not been released anywhere since. And I am dying to see it again. I really want to see this again because it's the kind of film that you would, you get lots out of it the first time. And then the second time you go in and you kind of, you, you obviously you've seen it, so you know where it's going. Uh, you, you get to see an entirely different film the second time around. So Promising Young Woman. Yeah, Carrie Mulligan was fantastic in it. I, I really enjoyed the last hour or so of the film. Without spoiling, there is like a halfway point that's a clear halfway point, and then the second half I think picks up in a very different way, uh, and it, it works really well. I also want to shout out Bo Burnham. He plays the um, lead, male lead role in this movie and is also great. I I'm, I'm a huge fan of Bo's. 
Um, I really loved Eighth Grade that released last year. Um, and you know, I'm I'm glad that his film career is is taking off in multiple directions now. So my number two is David Fincher's Mank. Mank. It's Orson Welles. Of course it is. I think it's time we talk. What is it the writer says? Tell the story you know. As Call has said before, uh, he hasn't had a chance to see it. So I will limit my conversation uh, on make in this. But Call, I know you will love this movie. Um, it is a beautiful love letter and criticism of old Hollywood. Um, David Fincher, once again, one of my also one of my favorite living directors. He continues to reinvent what a David Fincher film is, and he absolutely does it in this. I see tons of Oscar nominations heading this way, as if you'd expect anything else. Gary Oldman is phenomenal, and Amanda Seyfried uh, was phenomenal. She was a surprise to me. Um, I've always liked her, but she really is is something else in this movie as well. Um, so that's all I'll say about it. Call, I know you're going to love it, but what is your number two? Okay, number two. And I, I've just realized, actually, um, number two is the only movie in my top five that I did not see in a theater. Mm. And it is Aaron Sorkin's Trial of the Chicago 7. We want to underscore again that we're coming to Chicago peacefully, but whether we're given permits or not, we're coming. We're going to Chicago to protest the Vietnam War. It's an Aaron Sorkin movie, so you 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 had me at hello with the writing. It's dripping with genius. Um, I was able to go to a Q and A with, uh, well, virtually go to a Q and A with Aaron and some of the cast, and mm-hmm. he is full of stories of what they didn't put in to the actual script. He says, if you think what you saw on screen was crazy. You should see some of the other things that he just, there's no way that even with his writing skills, he could cram into <laughs> that movie. And he's, he's such an accomplished writer and such an accomplished director. And the film itself has such an interesting history. Uh, at one point, Steven Spielberg was attached to direct and they were, they were talking to Heath Ledger about possibly being in it. So that puts it at least before 2008. So what happens on screen is is brilliant. You're you're kind of I was kind of like going this this is based on a true story. This really this really <laughs> happened. Um, Frank Langella is brilliant as the crazy judge, and and I think the the real challenge they're going to have with this film. I know that I know that many of the cast. Um, I, I like would be deservingly up for supporting awards. Uh, if this was a year that the Academy could just launch an un- ensemble cast Oscar, these th- this cast has hands down uh, won such a fictional Oscar. I agree with you, Call. I think the acting across the board is phenomenal. Even if the wigs sometimes are not so, but I think uh, the acting is is really something else. I think some of Sorkin's best writing ever is in this movie. I would put the sequence with Mark Rylance and Eddie Redmayne having a mock um, cross-examination. Uh, I would put that in top three Sorkin scenes. I think that's up there with uh, the scene in The Social Network where 
Andrew Garfield's character says, you better lawyer up because I'm coming for everything. Uh, Also with the uh, Jack Nicholson, Tom Cruise exchange in uh, A Few Good Men. I mean, I think it is right up there with top tier Sorkin moments. And I was really, really moved by it. It's, it also made me uh, a little sad and a little depressing, a little depressed that, you know, a lot of the themes in this film are still highly relevant today in America. And it's funny that when you say that this was been in production for, you know, over 12, probably 13 years, because, you know, people might think, oh, he just kind of made this just to sort of capitalize on the moment. But, you know, it's been in production for years. Um, The story, like I said, is is decades old um, and still highly relevant today uh, into how sort of the American judicial system works. And it it was really phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, he says, so, so Sorkin has said, the script didn't change to mirror the times the times changed to mirror the script and that right. that is that is food for thought for 2020 mm-hmm. more more life imitating art so let's go to our number ones so my number one for this year is lee isaac chung's minari david look they're wheels wheels look at the uh, this is starring a phenomenal, phenomenal cast: Steven Yoon, Han Ye Ri, Yoon Yu Jung, and Will Patton. Uh, it's a story. It's a sort of based on the real life of Lee Isaac Chung. Uh, it's about a Korean American family. They uh, lived in L.A., but they want to move to Ar- the father, played by uh, Steven Yoon. Uh, wants to move to Arkansas to start a farm and and start a business and start his life there because land is cheaper. I was like very very moved by this film. Um, you know my I, I I love the way that Asian you know American immigrant story has now taken more life in American cinema. Um, I'm I'm the you know grandson of American immigrants. My mom and dad were both also born in the Philippines and then moved here at various ages. You know so it it, it hits home for me personally. Uh, but in addition to that, it is beautifully shot. It is heartbreaking. It's funny at times. The acting across the board is phenomenal. And and Steven is, is amazing. Um, I'm really glad that his his career has continued to shine post Walking Dead. Um, because, you know, as as we know, a lot of actors who have such landmark roles in genre television specifically get cast in such roles. Um, and and he was really phenomenal in it. I, I can't say can't say more good things about it but it, it was really something else call what are your thoughts on minari i didn't get to see it it's it's oh. one that i didn't get to see wow yeah this is i'm for, how how can how can this happen <laughs> i know for folks listening this is something i'm gonna mark in my mental uh in my mental notes for all time because call and i have often discussed films in which i have not seen them uh but now we have had two uh, on this, so I, this this is a proud moment for me. I will pat myself on the back and uh, call neck. Now, finally, I will be able to say, "Hey, did you get a chance to see this?" Yeah, so Minari, my number one call. That's another movie I will be bothering you about uh, when you get to see it. So, what is your number one film of the year, call? My number one movie is Christopher Nolan's Tenet. One of these bullets is like us, traveling forwards through time. The other one's going backwards. So do not worry, there will be no spoilers in here. Now, big fan 
of Chris's work to start with. Inception is my all-time number two favourite movie. So I was already kind of captivated (laughs) (laughs) at the thought of Chris doing a a time travel spy thriller. (laughs) It's kind of dick. Tick, tick, tick. <laughs> and, and, then, and then the added suspense as its, its release date got moved across the year. And, and we've, been, we've been very sensible here. So I haven't really been out that much. Um, and so when it got a little later to September, uh, it opened, it played at the local cinema in Bristol. It was in the biggest screen we have in the city. It was in a Dolby Atmos mm-hmm. theatre. And it was the first time I had been in a theatre since March. And this was September. So the, the longest gap that I think I've had in my entire life since I was old enough to start going to the, going to the <laughs> movies. So I was, I was a little worried that I was... Kind of like I was over anticipating it, <laughs> <laughs> over anticipating it, and how could it possibly live up to my crazy high expectations? And yet it did. It completely <laughs> blew me away. Um, John David Washington, who is another IMDb Star mm-hmm. Meter Award winner, uh, is brilliant in it. Robert Patterson, absolutely great. Elizabeth Debicki, who I, like I've been I've been a fan of her work since I since she first came on the scene, and she's great in this. Um, it will blow your mind. The one thing, the one thing, my only complaint was that I only got a chance to see it once and it's screaming to be seen a second time, a third time. So so I've already pre-ordered the ultra high definition disc which is due out in december mm. and uh, that is that's going to be another case of kind of like as soon as it drops through the letterbox <laughs> <laughs> it's rushed to the home cinema uh for my second viewing of of tenor and i i believe it's having a a, a wide digital and disc release in the u.s in december too so uh, hopefully chance for, for you to see that. Yeah, Tenet was one of the most anticipated films of 2020. Uh, it was always charting high on IMDb's movie meter rating. Uh, and, you know, anytime Nolan has a film, uh, people, you know, want to see it. it it's, it's a movie-going event uh, whenever Nolan releases a film. My, my personal favorite Nolan is, is Interstellar. Um, I, I, when I saw that on IMAX, my, my reaction to it was like, this is what people felt like when they saw 2001 in theaters mm-hmm. back in the 60s, or even when they saw Star Wars yeah. in 77. Like, I was completely blown away by the visuals of what I was seeing. Um, so, yeah. And the sound in IMAX was presumably brilliant yeah. as well, because I, I, saw, I saw Interstellar in the same theater that I saw Tenet when Interstellar came out, mm-hmm. and that was, that was quite a rumbling experience uh, <laughs> in Dolby Atmos. <laughs> 
So those are our top 10 favorite movies and our three favorite shows. So call, how, how do you feel about digital or physical media? And I'm sure it'll be worth all the wait uh, for Christopher Nolan fans out there. Of the new 2020 releases, um, what are your overall thoughts uh, on cinema? It's been it's been a, a different different year, definitely. Um, I miss seeing films in a theatre with an audience. For me, I'm the kind of person that feeds off the emotion that kind of like runs through the audience mm-hmm. as we view something, and so so only being kind of like on my own or with my family in a smaller group, definitely definitely missing that, but. Um, if there's if if you can't see a great film in a theater with an audience, the next best thing is seeing a great film at home. <laughs> <laughs> the worst thing is not seeing a great film at all. So I, I I feel kind of very lucky to have been able to still be seeing movies across the year, and I've been able to explore more TV as well, mm-hmm. which has been fun, and also. Uh, perhaps more international films than I would have seen before, just because it's been easier with a lot of the festivals moving online. I've just been signing up for for different festivals across the across the whole period of time and kind of consuming as much as I could from their different selections. So, um, so it's been good. Been good for choice. Yep. I feel good for choice. As you said you know, missing the theater in-person experience. It actually made me realize that, as you know, Call, I'm a huge fan of horror films, and I only have one, and Possessor's like kind of borderline horror even, on my movie list this year. And I do think that that is a factor of um, not being able to experience horror films in a, in a group setting. You know, again, like that rush of energy uh, of people getting tense in the theater is something that's hard to replicate. Um, and so I, I, you know, I wonder if that also played into it. Only you, Ian, could say that Possessor <laughs> is only borderline <laughs> horror. The Brandon Cronenberg, the 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 creator of Antiviral <laughs> and Possessor, you're saying is I, only borderline. I, I put it more um, in the in the thriller, you know, body horror. When I'm thinking of horror, there's no like jump scares in it. You know, it's not the traditional horror film. Maybe I'll, I'll correct myself in saying, but I will accept that criticism. Call I will I will I will take that with me. Be be warned if you're <laughs> planning to watch Possessor because Ian's told you it's only borderline horror. <laughs> so, call this was our third year of doing this. Fun as always. It is something I look forward to as our. Films often have some pairings and we often diverge quite a bit. So I love getting to chat with you about our uh, differing opinions on movies because that is the beauty of movies. Everyone's opinion is different and everyone's opinion matters. But this is also the kickoff of IMDb's annual Best of Features. So do you want to chat about that a little bit? Yeah, I always look forward to this time of year. Um, We have our top stars uh, by popularity, by page views across the year. Um, And then outside of that, we have our top breakout stars. So these are people who have become popular during the year. And it's great to see the names that end up on that breakout star list and then being able to track them as their careers move forwards. Uh, So fascinating way to to look at the data. And, And it's great because... The IMDb audience 
is ahead of the curve <laughs> so much of the time. You look at the names on the list and it's like, wow, she went on to do this or he went on to do that. So I wish I could peek early and take a look at what's on that list across the year. But no, I have to wait until <laughs> we release the list. Along with along with everybody else. So it's kind of like that's that's kind of like super exciting. And then the equivalent in terms of popularity uh, for movies from 2020 and also for TV series from 2020. And as I referenced earlier, I think I'm going to have seen more of the TV mm-hmm. in 2020 than I would ordinarily have done. So I guess I guess one disappointment of that, it's just hit me. One disappointment is I'll have fewer things to add to my TV watch list. Because <laughs> the these lists are always great for what did I miss? You know, what went by that I didn't quite catch uh, that has uh, resonated with IMDb customers all over the world. And it's something that I'm, I'm really proud that we do. We get to shine a light on things that people would perhaps otherwise have missed. And then they get to see them and maybe then they can come back to IMDb and find out other great movies and shows that the, the makers or the cast have done as well. So it's a it's a lovely kind of circle of entertainment where we just get more and more good stuff that we can all watch together. Great time of the year. It is a great time of the year. And you can check that out um, if you go to imdb.com slash best dash of. You can go check out all the lists that will be coming out there uh, that Carl just mentioned. And then if you need you know additional things to watch, you can add these movies that we talked about or TV shows to your watch list. Or you can go to imdb.com slash watch to find out the best things of what to watch, uh, you know, while we're still at home to enjoy films and stuff over the holiday season and, and into next year. Well, call. Uh, like I said, this was fun as always. I have some things I need to add to my list from yours, and I'm glad to say I finally have things that you need to add due to me. <laughs> finally, uh, after all this time. Thank, thank you so much. It was a ton of fun. It was indeed. I'm, I'm worried that you've been looking at my ratings and figured out which movies <laughs> I've not seen. Cro- cross-referencing them, yes. <laughs> well, thank you everyone for listening. Um, movies That Changed My Life will be back for season two in early 2021. So keep an eye out for that. Call. thank you so much. And we will talk soon. Thank you. Goodbye. 